I'm really interested in the things people choose to collect. The only collection I have is a postcard collection, but even that, I don't know how it translates into ideas of pots, but there is something special about the things that people keep and they keep in larger quantities or they, they look for when they're out shopping. Or I think people's living spaces really fuel me. And, and it's the stuff they keep, but it's also the way they live and the things they do with their home. To me, that's like a treasure trove of ideas and inspiration. Hello, and welcome back to season two of Hello Atelier. I'm your host, Betsy Blodgett, and with me, as ever, is my producer, Jonathan Getz. Hello. Today, we are speaking with Emily Reinhardt, otherwise known as the Object Enthusiast, her online moniker under which she sells her ceramics and other curated home decor objects. Emily makes gorgeous little trinket bowls, dishes, and other small functional pieces. Listening to Emily talk about collections made me think about our own, and I have to say, we are building a pretty good ceramics collection here in our new home. The day of the move, uh, some of the first boxes we unpacked to make this place feel like home were ceramic pieces like a Brett Kern dinosaur, a gray grass muslin vase, and an Alana Duraki cactus. What is even more exciting, and slightly daunting, is that we have two more unpacked boxes of pottery pieces ready to do their part to decorate. Emily is speaking both to us and about us when she references the stuff we keep. Uh, We should all want to surround ourselves with great art, I've come to learn ceramics can be affordable art, style, and function all rolled into one. We cannot resist, nor should we. Well, I've been trying to hold myself back. I do have my eye on a couple of Emily's pieces, which would look fabulous in my new workspace. Just a small little piece to add to our own collection. Emily's touches of gold would undoubtedly inspire, and go well with the pink paint you're considering. Are you still leaning toward pink? Oh, yes. But let's have that discussion at a later time and get on to Emily. Okay. Roll tape. My dream was first interior design and architecture. And the program there is very competitive. Um, So my grades weren't actually there. And I was also, I didn't want to be fighting for my seat in a major for four years or even longer. So that's when I kind of took the art department route. Um, And I started as photography and then transitioned into art education for about a week and then realized, I don't think I have the teacher gene. Um, And then ceramics was next. I think it was an equal part fascination with the material and what I could do with it and then the teachers that I had. My ceramics one teacher, her name is Amanda Small, and she's just this light of a person. She is so charismatic and she was in her master's program and was so interested in ceramics that I just was like oh gosh she's so cool and she makes all this cool stuff so I was really interested in her as a human being and then the way she was teaching me and just kind of she saw me get excited about stuff and I think she maybe without knowing it but she just kind of held my hand along the way and was like really trying to show me things that would get me more excited. Um, And it was like two weeks of that class when I was like, okay, I want to major in ceramics. My professor Yoshi was also a big part. He's been a big part of my whole college journey, but he wasn't my teacher yet in ceramics one, but he kind of, one day he kind of just shoveled into the studio and 
he was talking to Amanda and then he kind of glanced at my project and as he was walking by he was like hey that's pretty good and then didn't say anything else but Amanda was like oh my gosh Emily he never says that to anyone like especially not ceramics one and she was like you should you should change your major and I think it was that afternoon I think I went to the office and I'd already gotten accepted for photography. It would have put me a year behind to do the whole application process for ceramics. But Yoshi, on a piece of paper, he just wrote, Emily can be a ceramics major. And he was like, take this to the office. And everyone in the office just looked at me like, oh gosh, (laughs) this is so against the rules. But they just did what Yoshi said. What was your work in college like? I was really focused on sculptural and like hand-built multiples and installation type stuff at first. And when when I was in school, like it was either if you want a career in the arts, you either go to grad school after undergrad or you just get lucky and find a gallery kind of thing. I didn't really know there was a way to sell my work outside of being just a traditional sculptor in a gallery. After school, I had a bunch of pots and pieces that I had made. And at that age, I was like moving apartments so many times that I got really tired of moving this work from college. And so I, it was kind of Etsy. That was 2010. You still had to explain what Etsy was to people. So I had opened an Etsy shop um, and was just selling work from school. And then as I noticed sales were actually happening, I kind of was like, oh, well, maybe I should make more functional pieces because it seems like an easy thing people can buy and picture in their home and um, instead of like waiting for my big break at a gallery or something. The start of my Etsy shop um, just kind of fed into the desire to make functional pieces. How did you go from that to what you do now? Um, I started my brand as a blog right after college. Um, And it was kind of just a place where I wanted to talk about ceramics and still feel like I knew what was going on in the ceramics world without having access to the studio anymore. Yoshi retired two years after I graduated. And when he retired, him and his wife moved to Portland, Oregon, and he gave me a kiln and his wheel. And that was that was the moment where it changed everything. I don't know why he gave it to me. <laughs> like he he didn't he was like a tough love guy. Like his wife kind of pulled me aside. She was like he would never do this for an undergrad. He really he sees something in you. He really liked you and and it was cool that his wife told me that kind of before they left because I really was shocked. I was just like, "What?" Like, I've been afraid to ask you for a recommendation letter, so you're giving me your equipment. That's a pretty big deal. As Emily shared her work under her online brand, The Object Enthusiast, her unique designs and photography garnered her recognition in the social media world. When she was featured by both Etsy and Instagram, her online presence exploded, bringing her not just followers, but an ever-expanding customer base. I had a job as a social media coordinator for a credit union. And that was the time Yoshi had just moved with his wife and I had just gotten the kiln and the wheel. And so I was kind of set up in my basement in Wichita 
And the credit union job was, it was only 30 hours a week. So I had a lot of free time. Um, and that was kind of when the blog and the shop were evolving into more of like a real business. The social media job was, I mean, it was like a bank job and I'm an artist. And so I remember thinking, there's no way I'm going to get this job, but they gave it to me. And they said it was because I had a online presence. I had a blog. They wanted me to write a blog for them. Um, I had experience with Twitter and Facebook and all that stuff. So I was kind of just thrown into the marketing department and my boss was really wonderful. And he kind of told me, you know, while you're here at work, feel free to read articles, educate yourself on marketing best practices. And like, if, if you find any workshops or lectures or things you want to go to in town, let me know and we'll send you there. And so the whole time I was kind of researching marketing and learning how to do that job, I was kind of equating everything into how I would do it in my ceramics business. And then, then it kind of made more sense in like the bank world. And so I feel like I, I learned so much about marketing and it was right at the right moment when my business was starting. Like the only Instagram account I've ever had was the object enthusiast. And so it started as that and it's never changed. It's never gone between like my name and then to a business or anything like that. So and this is back when I, like, no, I didn't think anyone was listening except for my mom or her friends or something. But, like, I was really just trying to fake it as a business, even though I just felt like a person who makes these things. I was just really trying to present myself as a business. But also, like, I, I really wanted to keep my voice in there. And I think, I think photography is incredibly important. But I also think, I think your voice is the most important part because that carries over whether it's Twitter or Instagram or a blog or whatever it is your voice and and what you're putting with an image or with a link in your work I think that really stands the test of time and it is what informs people the most I I really strive to photograph my pieces so that when someone's looking at it they can instantly picture it in their own life. I, I think when when someone's buying something online, if they just see a picture and if they instantly can picture that thing in their home or like, oh, I know exactly how I'd use it, I think they're more inclined to purchase. So when you make your pots, like what's your technique? You know, it starts with kind of a form in mind, but I'm usually thinking about the end color and design first before I'm thinking of the form. You know, I'm not a sketcher. I don't, I hate drawing. My handwriting is only good like every other day. So I, <laughs> I've never really sketched work before I make it. I like to use a lot of different clay, a lot of different glazes. And then once I've done several tests, that kind of informs like, oh, I really like the way this color looks on this clay body. You know, I, I kind of tweak things based on color and clay first, and then I kind of figure out what the object is going to be, which is kind of backwards. I have kind of a, I guess, a short attention span in far, as far as making stuff goes, because I don't think I could sit at a wheel all day, every day. Um, so I, a wheel thrown, I do a lot of that, but I still feel like I have to teach myself how to throw. They're, like, I only really know how to make cylinders. 
I don't make a, mu- a bunch of other things on the wheel. So wheel thrown, and then I have a lot of molds, and I do slip casting, and then a lot of hand building with slabs and coil building. It's it's a lot of different techniques. So I kind of, the hand built stuff is where I'm most comfortable, and I think that comes from all the experience I had in college and doing sculptural work. And how did the gold become part of your work? There was this pot that I really... I was so proud of. I think I I threw it on the wheel. It looked so good. It was probably the best thing I'd made. And then I glazed it. And then (laughs) something like I pull it out of the kiln and the glaze just looked awful. And I was so in love with the pot. I didn't want to throw it away yet. And so I just sat it on a shelf and I was like, I'll just think about you for a while. And as it sat there, I was like, I feel like I could cover up those spots that I don't like. And that's where the gold leaf came in, where I was like, oh, cool, I can just, like, hide this. And then that kind of fed into, like, oh, what if I purposely put this on here and change the design that way? So, yeah, that that definitely evolved in, like, a mistake kind of way, which I think a lot of your good ideas do. So when you started getting wholesale orders... Were they big stores? Were they just small boutiques? How did you handle that? Things were getting really busy. I was starting to get requests from stores that wanted to carry my work. Um, I was actually like moving product online. And and so I was I was able to kind of sense that things could be growing in a good direction. And mostly small boutiques, like the equivalent of locally owned Kansas City stores, across the country. And then I've had a few, like a partnership with Urban Outfitters and Anthropology. I have like a really special warm spot for my first store. Um, it was a store called Sword and Fern in Portland, Oregon. Um, and the store owner, her name was Emily. So we just connected really well. And I mean, in the beginning, I think I remember like the first three. So it was her. And then there was a store in Seattle, um, Maria, Maria Seal. Um, she still has her shop has grown and she's very successful. Um, and then Terrain was my third one. And that one didn't work out because all of my pots broke in the mail. <laughs> so I was really embarrassed. They're like, oh, please send us samples. And then they get broken samples and they're like, well, thanks anyway, but we're going to pass. <laughs> and so I was like pretty devastated. But, it, you know, I learned a lot. Like I was like, oh, OK, you got to impress these brands and these companies if you want them to follow through with an order. So that was a big wake up moment for me. But yeah, it, was, it redeemed itself later on. But that first blow of, oh, my gosh, I look so unprofessional sending broken samples to this company. Um, but it was a it was a good learning experience. Although Emily has recently hired an assistant, for years she has been making all of her pieces on her own. While this seems manageable for smaller wholesale orders, I wondered how she dealt with orders from large companies like Urban Outfitters. Anthro order came first, and that was like a 250-piece order. I was losing my mind during that order, and it was the first time I'd ever made things in that scale and um so it was like multiples of ring dishes I think they had like eight different designs and with a company that big everything has to be packaged and labeled so that in their warehouse when they're filling orders they can just grab the box stuff it and go and so you you have to wrap every item individually to pass like an eight foot drop test 
I did, I used a staircase. So I think it was beyond eight feet and I literally threw it down as hard as I could. And I actually have a fulfillment center that ships all my work for me. And so I gave them one extra of everything for that order. And so I told them, I was like, it kind of needs to pass this drop test. So I'm giving you one extra so that you guys can like practice and and she she was like, we had so much fun throwing your stuff around and no, nothing broke. So she, I was like, well, cool. You can keep all the extras for yourself. Since you started with like sculptural, do you ever have the yearning to do something bigger? Sometimes I do. I think about like now that I have established myself as a full-time artist, like maybe I could do a gallery show or maybe I could totally change a direction, even for just a little while. Um, I feel really intimidated by the gallery world. It's I feel like some people have very strong opinions on ceramics as art. I would love to see what I could challenge myself with. If I knew a gallery owner who was like, you can have it a year from now, you know, for a month, it would be exciting to try to build something specifically for that. But it's hard when wholesale orders and there's stuff on the docket, you're kind of like, well, I got to just crank these pots out. I can't really, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to set aside time for exploration and, and new product and, and new designs. But I, I think back to my sculptural days and I'm like, what would I make if I had to like make something for an assignment? So I I think I should maybe push that more often because I could probably inform other designs from new types of projects and sculptural work that it feels like a different mindset than like when I go out to the studio to throw 10 mugs or something. When I go and explore and I just mess around out there, it's like, that's the best day. I had a long phone conversation like six months ago with one of my mentors where I was just like, oh my gosh, I I can't do this anymore. I was having one of those periods of my time where I felt like I wanted to quit. And I, not that I didn't want to make ceramics, but I I wasn't enjoying the kind of mass produce. I I didn't feel like I had made anything new. And I I was talking to a friend and she was like, you know, I think, because I was like, I want to quit and go to grad school and just get better at ceramics. And she was like, you don't need to go to grad school for ceramics and you don't really need to go to grad school. But if you really have the itch to go to grad school, she was like, you should look into like a product design program. And that, that really changed my thought process. And I don't, I still don't know. I'm not really ready for school again yet, but I, I've been very intrigued with the idea of designing other products, but I have no idea where to start or how to do it. And I think maybe if, meeting the right artists who are doing that. I I think about calling places and just being like a short-term intern for them where it's like, you don't have to pay me. I'm just going to come two days a week and you can make me do the worst tasks. I don't care, but I want to learn something. And, And I think that's where the idea of school seemed like the logical next step because I'm, I'm really thirsty for knowledge. And as far as ceramics, or just other objects and creating and making. Um, I can't really pinpoint what I'm thirsty for, but I know I want to learn new things. So I saw that you were doing something with the Potters in Protest. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me about that? Um, so the Potters in Protest 
was started by Helen Levy in Brooklyn. And she's a potter there. And she just kind of reached out to me and then to another potter in California and was like, I'm going to do this thing. It'd be awesome if we got each region to kind of do their own one and kind of house it under the same hashtag and name and all that. So she had hers the week of the inauguration and they raised, I think like, I want to say like $10,000, but we're going to play on a dinner with a local restaurant and people can purchase bowls and tickets to the dinner. People who've purchased a ticket to the dinner, a bowl will be included. But it's kind of modeled after the Empty Bowls fundraiser, which is like a, it's a national fundraiser. People in their own city kind of take on the project locally. The Empty Bowls whole premise is potters donate bowls, a restaurant donates soup or food for the bowl. People who've purchased a bowl can, on a certain night, go to the restaurant and they get free soup or whatever is on the menu. And so I've had potters from all over send me bowls. I actually have a stack of boxes in the living room, but so many bowls are being donated. Um, We're going to plan like a pop-up shop where people can just buy bowls. And then we're also going to plan a kind of a nicer evening, which is the dinner. That's the kind of beauty of a bunch of artists getting together because organizing an event, it's, it's a lot to take on. And some people don't have the money to just write a check to the ACLU or something. So it's really cool to potters or artists donating bowls. They feel like they're doing something and people who can't make bowls, but want to buy bowls can do something. And, and so it, it allows a lot of different people to get involved and promote and donate money and, I, I feel really good about it. It's nice. It feels good, too, to when you're just stuck alone in the garage producing wholesale orders. Like, I want to be, as a brand and a company and a person, I want to be more involved and, and not be so quiet anymore about my own outrages. Thanks for listening to Hello Atelier. To see images of Emily's work and studio, visit us at helloatelier.org. An easy way to help support this program is to subscribe on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow us on Facebook and Instagram to see extras from the podcast and to live a little Hello Atelier every day.